0: Tonight on the West Coast Gospel Hour, it's Saturday Apologetics. That's next here on Fig Tree Watchers as we discuss the Catholic Church. That's next. Hey, invite your friends, everyone. Uh, we're going to be having an interesting apologetic talking about the defense of our faith and uh, what it means. So get ready because you're not going to want to miss this. It is going to be an interesting night. We'll be joined by my co-host and partner I.O. from Mitsu Study in just a minute. But go ahead and uh, invite your friends and family, your loved ones, as we gather together tonight to strengthen our faith, to understand what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. We ask the question, how are we saved? We're going to answer that tonight biblically, through scripture, through sound biblical doctrine. Um, We're going to address some of the fallacies that are going on in the in the uh, uh, Catholic Church and how they contradict Scripture. And so it's going to come down to a couple of big things in your life. Do you believe that the Bible is infallible? Do you trust God's Word? Uh, do you believe that uh, it's true? And that's going to be an important part for you to understand. Look, we're all going through a lot of spiritual warfare and things in our lives right now. We're under heavy attack. Uh, we're suffering illnesses. Uh, we're having family members who have passed away. But you know what? There's one constant and it's Jesus Christ. And here's the, the bottom line. You draw close to God by drawing close to him in faith. Not by entering a building Not by uh, doing things. Your righteousness comes from Jesus and Christ alone. And that's so important to understand. So tonight, join us as we go over this important discussion. And uh, I'm going to bring my co-host on as he's here. And we'll get right started.
1: are you doing hey brother hey everyone hope you guys are doing well glad to be on again yep how are you doing doing good doing how about yourself
0: Uh, doing a little bit better and uh i'm so glad you're here and it's gonna be a a good night Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i agree with that
1: um
0: so why don't you uh, start us off in prayer and uh um we'll get started
1: yeah sounds good Uh, Father, we just thank you again for bringing us here uh, tonight. Uh, Through the use of technology, we know this is just a great opportunity that we should not take for granted, Lord. I pray that your Spirit works with them, Brother Stefan and I, to just discuss apologetics, to go over uh, Catholicism, to uh, talk about the truth from your Word and uh, the, the lies that we're seeing in the world and in different religious systems, Lord. May you use this to just bring the light to people, to show them the truth of your gospel to bring them out of deception and to also encourage fellow believers to give us tools to navigate these uh, different um, religions and what they say, what they believe, Lord. Uh, May this be something that edifies us, that allows us to grow, to speak to other people concerning the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Okay. So um, tonight, uh, this is going to be an interesting topic. What are we discussing tonight?
1: Ten Reasons Why i'm not a catholic or why we're not a catholic um so we're just gonna be talking about catholicism if you guys remember it's been about like a year a year and a half when brother Stefan and i have gone through a series of different religions uh, mormonism jehovah's witness you know hinduism we, we've gone over it all we've gone over catholicism as well we're gonna be taking a, a different look at catholicism today just discussing 10 points why we're not catholic and this is immense we, we say this often when we talk about different religions this won't be meant to bash any Catholics. We don't want you guys to think we're here to bash Catholics or hate on Catholics. You know people who are Catholics. We have family members who are Catholic or things like this. This is just to get the truth out, to show the lies that are in this religious system and to point people to the truth of Scripture. So that's what we're here for
0: tonight. And, and I'm going to say this right from the beginning. This is probably going to be a lengthy discussion, so this will probably be a part 2 um, we're not going to get through all 10 of these points. Mm. Um, in fact, we reduced it down. It, there was way more, way mm. more. Um, but we're going to try to address the, the, the 10 most important points. We're going to get through them pretty – try to get through them quickly, but but we understand that this is probably going to be next month. In the month of uh, July, we're going to be discussing the part two of this probably.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, with that, we can just go ahead and get started. Let's get started. Yeah. So the first one we have here, and then, you know, you can – interrupt me anytime uh the first point we have here is just the catholic belief on scripture so where they believe on scripture um we as protestants we believe in you know the five solas one of them being sola scriptura well catholics deny that right sola scriptura just means scripture alone that all the truth that we get in terms of how we apply what scripture says to our lives how we can discern truth from falsehood uh, that all comes from scripture and scripture alone whereas the Catholic Church sees that differently. So Catholics reject the doctrine of Sola scripture, that's scripture alone, and do not believe that the Bible alone is sufficient. So that's the key word there. Uh, some people might believe the Bible is inerrant, or so the Bible is reliable, but the key point that we should be trying to note from what people say concerning scripture nowadays is, is it sufficient for every, every area of the believer's life? Because some people will say, no, it's not. You need scripture plus something else. You need scripture plus the church fathers. You need scripture plus tradition. Um, and tradition and, you know, church fathers in and of themselves aren't bad. Um, they help us see, you know, how the thought process was for Christians back in the day. That's that's great. But that's not on the same level as scripture. Um, so that's what we Protestants believe from what scripture says. But the Catholics see it differently. So they believe that both the Bible and the sacred Roman Catholic tradition are equally binding upon the Christian. Again, the church fathers are part of that tradition. Sacraments are part of that. Um, and that flies in the face of what scripture clearly tells us right we see in second timothy three sixteen, all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for proof for correction for instruction in righteousness uh we see that paul he when he talked about uh the the gospel when he gave the gospel uh, to the bereans they they scrutinized what he said right he called them honorable for doing that for scrutinizing what he said Um, So they went to the scripture. They had to go to the Old Testament. The Old Testament scriptures to know is what Paul is saying true. They didn't appeal to um, the rabbinical traditions of their time. They didn't appeal to man's opinions. They went straight to the source of truth itself, scripture. And that's what we have to do. Um, So that's one reason. The first reason I'm sure Bustafan has his own points as well as to why we reject what Catholic doctrine teaches. First thing is their view of scripture. If their view of scripture is faulty, That's the foundation right there. If that's faulty, (laughs) you can't, you can't trust anything else that would have to say. Right. So that's an important point to bring up first here.
0: Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you wholeheartedly on what you said here. Um, This is a big thing because one of the problems is that they go to the traditions of men. And we're going to see this more and more versus what scripture says now, it's kind of funny and we're gonna we're gonna talk about this more but one of those issues that they bring up is you know peter is the first pope of the church well according to scripture the first leader of the church was james right Mm -hmm. he was chosen by the disciples to lead the church so that's actually in the bible the second thing is nowhere in scripture does it refer to peter as the pope or the leader of the church in fact peter was sent out to be the leader among the jews and Paul was to go to the Gentiles. Yes, yes. So you actually had several leaders, and then later on, John is considered one of the elders, right? He's considered elder um John. So we have this idea that the true head of the church has always been Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. right? And uh we're gonna we're gonna break down, down that a little bit more in a moment, but because of this this leads to one of the biggest problems in the in the church the catholic church and that is what is we're going to get to it is kingdom now theology and why these traditions were so important because it was a building process to incorporate kingdom now theology within the catholic church Um, and it's it's one of the big issues it's one of the reasons why i'm not a catholic uh, and why it goes against scripture but you're going to see this repeatedly um, here's another one, purgatory. Purgatory is not mentioned anywhere in the scriptures. Yep. No, nowhere. And and I was gonna cover that in a little bit later on. It's not mentioned. But it's a tradition that they created that came out of paganism,
1: and it's central to their thought. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys really have to watch this because again, what we're not what we're not saying is that throw away history, throw away what the church tries to say. We're not saying that. What we're saying that you have to be careful of is when you start putting history and church fathers and traditions and all these man-made things at the same level of scripture um because at that point you can't make a discernible decision as to okay what's true what's not this person is saying you know they're they're having this crazy experience they 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 saw god in person or whatever well how do i know if that's true or not do i go to the church fathers do i go to scripture well i can't know that if scripture and church fathers is on the same level so just being able to be able to go to one source that has the definite solution, the definite answer is is really key to our spiritual growth and helps us stay away from deceptions like, you know, theology, purgatory, and so many different stuff that we're going to talk about, right? Again, this is the foundation. If, if a belief system has a different view of scripture, such as Mormonism, Islam, these same views, these same different religions uh, say that, Hey, yeah, sure. The Bible. Okay. It's, it's good in some ways, but, We have the final revelation, we have a better revelation, or we have something plus the Bible. If a religious system says that, run away, flee, because deception is the only thing that's going to come from that. So we have to be careful. Amen. I totally agree. So the next thing here is uh, their belief on the salvation. So I think uh, one thing that people usually know concerning Catholicism, people that are against Catholicism, they at least know that their view of salvation is works-based. The funny thing is that Catholics and, and Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, they're based too. But when you uh, challenge them on that, they're always like, no, 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 we, we believe they have to be saved um, by believing in Jesus. But when you dig into their own text, you start seeing that, wait a minute, that's not really the case. So you got to watch out for that as well. So the Roman Catholic Church teaches that salvation is by baptismal regeneration and is maintained through the Catholic sacraments unless a wolf act of sin is committed that breaks the state of sanctifying grace so again you might see catholics say oh no no we believe that you're saved by you know uh, faith alone and through christ and believing in christ but then they'll start saying that well uh, you have to be baptized you have to keep the sacraments you have to do this and that well that's a works-based salvation scripture teaches against that ephesians 289 is very explicitly against that view it says for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Isaiah in the Old Testament goes as far as to say, God sees our righteous deeds, the good things we do, giving to the poor, reading scripture, right? Being a good person, all those things we consider good, God sees it as a filthy rag. Um, so it's nothing that we can use to earn our own salvation. Titus 3, 4-7 says, But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. I'll just repeat that, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, that was Titus 3, 4, 7. So again, if any religious system says, hey, we have bible plus something or you know the bible's great but there's this other final revelation that we use to discern truth and then if they start telling you that yeah you know uh, we have a different way of salvation you have to work your way again red flags major red flags so i mean we're already we're just on two points right now and and i'm sure you guys can already start saying that oh this is this is you know awful it's crazy so and i want to i want to tell you so that we're giving you correct
0: understanding here I want to read to you something that's called the Vatican II. It's a document that they did to reaffirm the importance of the sacraments. Mm -hmm. Listen to what it says, and this is Catholic doctrine, okay? This is their doctrine. If anyone says the sacraments of the new law are not necessary for salvation, but that without them, men obtain from God through faith alone grace of justification. Let him be anathema, mm. meaning let him be cursed. Yeah. Okay, this is Catholic doctrine. If you believe that you are justified by grace alone through faith, the Catholic doctrine of, of their church is anathema. You're anathema. You're cursed. Now, I want you to understand this because this is one of the reasons a lot of you know that I came out of Calvinism, and um I want you to understand that one of the problems I had was With Calvinism is, look, you had John Calvin put his tulips together, but yet he killed someone over free will. Christians are not to kill. We're not to kill. You know, self-defense is one thing, but the Christian purpose is to love one another, right? How does the world know that we are Christians? John 13, 34, and 35. Love one another, even as I have loved you by this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is real important. We don't curse one another. In fact, Hebrews tells us in, in chapter 10, the reason we go to church is to encourage one another in love and to build one another up in good works, right? To stir yeah. up love among us. Our purpose is to bless one another, not curse one another. Yeah. So here they're saying what is found in scripture, Romans 10 through 11, the scripture you just read from Titus, mm-hmm. They're saying no that person is cursed yeah now does that sound like the language jesus would use or does that sound like the language satan would use i i, I want you to understand this okay i'm warning you against following man-made theology whether it's reformed theology or protestantism And Catholicism, I'm telling you, go back to the scripture, get into the presence of God and let the Holy Spirit lead you to all truth. Because the Bible says in in John 16, he will guide you to all truth, Hmm. not some, not part, all truth. And it's when you put aside man-made traditions and you know the word of God, the living, breathing essence of Jesus Christ. And I believe that this Bible is supernatural. Yeah, I do. And only, not only believe that it's infallible and truthful. I believe it's supernatural. It literally is the essence of Jesus Christ Himself, and it will supernaturally guide you to all truth because it reveals Christ at on every single page of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with everything he said. And guys, I just wanted to pay attention because Brother Stefan, what he just told us there, straight from Catholic doctrine, right? And this is not going to be the first time we reference what catholics themselves say in their own writings i'm going to talk about mary and communion and other things and you'll see for yourself what they have to say And we'll see what scripture says and it's just amazing how in what he just read from the catholic doctrine that they said that hey if you do not hold the if you believe that uh, salvation comes by faith alone through grace alone through you know believing in jesus christ that you know let them be anathema and that's completely opposite from what paul says in Galatians 1, 6, uh, 6 and verse uh, 7, 8, 9, um, he says there, I marvel that you are turned away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you will let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. And again, this goes back to the first reason, guys. If if you don't have scripture as your first as your foundation of truth, you're gonna be led astray by anyone's doctrine. If you're a Catholic and you're and you hear that doctrine of, hey, if you just believe in Christ, you're accursed if you don't keep the sacraments. Well, and and that doctrine is on the same level as scripture, but yeah, Paul was saying something opposite of scripture. How do, you, how do you deal with that? You have to have, you can't deal with that. That's a, that's a dilemma you have there.
0: Yeah, so let me give you the scripture that ties into that because it's mm-hmm. a big one, right? Yep. So later on in the book of Galatians, in chapter 2, in verse 16, Paul writes this. And this, is, this, this right here just puts the nail in the coffin for what Io was talking about. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ— Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Mm -hmm. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So the seven sacraments that the Catholic church argues for, they're saying that's how you're saved. You need seven things. It's Jesus plus these seven things will save you. But Paul is saying, no, you're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You're saved by what Christ did on the cross. And this is what is so dangerous by what these sacraments do, is it nullifies the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for the remission of sins, which you mm-hmm. read earlier. Yeah. It's the blood of Jesus that was shed for the remission of sins. And so what baptism does it doesn't save you. Mm -hmm. What it does is it sanctifies you in your salvation that was done by Jesus Christ, because it reminds you Mm -hmm. that as Christ shed blood, you are washing away your sins in the, in baptism to honor what Christ did on the cross Mm -hmm. to sanctify yourself. It's not a part of salvation. And we're going to go into other things in a moment, the Eucharist and the other points, but Guys, understand you're saved by Christ and Christ alone. It's with the confession of the mouth to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 8 through 11. It's over and over and over again in scripture. And what did the Catholics say here? If anyone says the sacraments of the new law are not necessary for salvation, but that without them, Man obtained from God through faith alone, grace of justification, let him be a, a, a What they're saying is, look, if, if someone believes that it's by justification through faith and by grace alone, they're cursed. And Paul said the absolute also, uh, uh, the absolute opposite. He says, they're cursed, right? They're cursed. If you believe any other gospel, you're yeah. cursed. Why? Because you're not believing on Jesus Christ and you're dooming yourself to sin. And Paul's not saying, you're, I'm cursing you, like they are. They're saying, we're cursing you. Paul is saying, you're cursed because of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ.
1: That That's the foundation. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And it, it, we're just trying to emphasize to you guys the importance of this. And I'm sure a lot of you guys already know these points, but it's just so important to realize, you know, what the Catholic church teaches, how we can circumvent these things. And again, give scripture, give the truth to people who are in the Catholic church because they need to know these things that what they're teaching, what they're being taught. And, you know, I've, I have Catholic friends and, and we've heard stories. And I'm sure a lot of us have heard stories of people who were in Catholicism who got out of it. Now they're Protestant or, you know, they're whatever, but they're just not Catholic anymore. And They'll tell you stories of how they've just been encouraged not to even open the Bible, <laughs> that the priest is the one who is going to open the Bible or just, you know, go through you know sermons or teachings or whatever they haven't read the bible themselves so it's just so important to get into the word on your own and once you do that you'll start seeing that wait a minute things are totally different than what i've been taught right so that's why it's so important excellent So okay so we've covered two points already and we're about 22 minutes in we're not yeah.
0: Gonna...
1: <laughs> um yeah let's what, get to the third what, one what's the next one yeah, next one is communion, or what the Catholic Church and even the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church would call Eucharist, right? So, this one is is very important. I'm going to be quoting some Catholic sources here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, so you guys can understand what they believe on the Eucharist, which is vastly different than what we believe. And Brother Stefan will kind of elaborate on this some more. So, I'm going, to, I'm going to say a big word here, but the Roman Catholic Church believes in the doctrine of transubstantiation. So, that's a big theological word, but all it literally means is that it's a belief system when you believe that the wafer or the bread that you're taking communion and the wine or the grape juice or whatever it is literally becomes Jesus' body and literally becomes Jesus' blood that it kind of transforms into actually just body and just blood. That's the belief of transubstantiation. That's what the Catholics hold on to. So it's it's very uh, it's very strange. We know that we have an understanding and we'll we'll get into it that, hey, Jesus, you know, at the Last Supper, he did this. And he said that these things should remind us of his of his death, the sacrifice for us. Um, it's supposed to be a symbol and then has a more spiritual significance to it. But they take even further that. No, no, no. It literally turns Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. So, again, I'm gonna be referencing the catechism of the Catholic Church. Um, So the Council of Trent summarizes the Catholic faith by declaring, Because Christ, our Redeemer, said that it was truly his body that he was offering under the species of bread, it has always been the conviction of the Church of God, and his holy council now declares again, that by the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of of Christ our Lord, and the whole substance of the wine into the substance of his blood. This changed the Holy Catholic Church Church's fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. So I'll just summarize that for you guys. Again, they just went through it. They said that, hey, the blood, the wine, or the bread literally turns into Jesus' body and Jesus' blood, known as transubstantiation. They, they said it themselves. Uh, through the Eucharist, they believe they're offering, and this is another problem. With their belief of the Eucharist, they have a, again they have a totally different view of this. Through the Eucharist, they believe they are offering Christ as remission of sins again and again and again through this process. Now that's a huge issue, and we're going to see why that is through what Scripture says. And again, I'm just going to read what they say. Don't don't believe what I have to say. Just listen to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This is from page 344, Article Five of the Catechism of the Catholic Church on the eucharist and how they believe they're offering christ again and again it says the sacrifice of christ and the sacrifice of the eucharist are one single sacrifice so it's the same thing eucharist sacrifice christ same thing the victim is one and the same the same now offers through the ministry of priests who then offered himself on the cross only the manner of offering is different and this divine sacrifice which is celebrating the mass the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody, bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in an unbloody manner. So they're saying that, hey, just Christ may sacrifice himself on the cross. That was one type of sacrifice. And now in the Eucharist, he's doing the exact same thing, but in a different way. And every time we go through Eucharist, he's continually sacrificing himself. And, and that's a huge problem. So, brother, do you have any thoughts on that before I get into the scripture uh, of this?
0: Uh, actually I do I have a budget number number one it starts with mannerisms of it they believe that the priests have to bless the box in which the Eucharist is kept in and that the Holy Spirit enters into a box and then enters into the Eucharist and the Holy Spirit metamorphoses in Christ once you've taken it. it and this is really the fundamental aspect of it we as Christians don't believe that the Holy Spirit resides in inanimate things he resides in us, okay? He resides in us. He, he comes to convict us of sin. He resides in us. He yeah. dwells within us. And the other thing is Christ dwells within us. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, Christ comes in and dwells in him. I abide in him, John talks about, and he abides in me, right? I'm in Christ and Christ in me, the hope of glory, right? Paul mentions that. Uh, Re- Revelation 3.20, Jesus said it. If anyone knocks, if behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone opens up the door of what is heart, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Now, having said that, I want to say one thing that Protestants get completely wrong on communion. Communion is supernatural. Protestants love to emphasize that it's representational of what Christ did on the, on the cross and that we need to remember it and it's just representational and it's out of remembrance. Problem is, Paul said it's supernatural, okay? He called it a spiritual food. Uh, he referred to it that if you take it in a wrong manner, that it will bring sickness to you, illness to you. And so what communion really is, is communion with Christ in, in the presence of Christ himself. And that's what communion really is. It's supernatural because you're entering into the presence of God. You're coming before the throne of God and you're entering into his presence. And that's what David talks about. Well, I've entered into your presence of God, right? That's what communion really does. It's a time when you reflect and you remember, but you also repent and you come before the throne of God. You enter into his presence in a holy manner because you're a holy people. The other thing I want to remind you is, and I want to say this, this is so important, that if you make communion your idol, you've done it a disservice to God. And I want to make that very clear. Look, listen, and and I was going to get to this when he discusses Mary in a moment, but listen to this passage. It's from Exodus 24. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of Anything in the heavens above and on the earth below or in the waters beneath, right? You're not to make an idol of anything in the heavens, okay, above, on the earth below, or in the waters beneath. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. God says, wow, if if you take something, and even if it's like an aid of it. Look, this is so serious. I want you to understand something. There's no image of Jesus in the Bible. There's no description of him that tells him the color of the hair, whatever it is. But of other people, there is. David had red hair. Solomon was described in how handsome he was and good looking he was, right? Others were described with hair color or how long it was. Huge descriptions of of artifacts uh, and, and buildings and how they were designed down to absolute detail. But Jesus, if God wanted Jesus to have a description, it would be in the scripture. But he didn't. Why? Because we're not to have graven images of Jesus on our walls. We're not to turn the communion into... An idol form of worship, of idling—that you're worshiping the communion. No, you're entering into the presence of God. You're worshiping God, not the communion, not the pictures on the wall. In fact, if you pray to one of those, you use one of those scriptures, those pictures to help you pray. Shame on you. You should be entering into the presence of God in a repentant, humble manner. Mm
1: -hmm. That's what communion does. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to get these differences correct, guys, and you'll even hear, I think, another important point, and I'll delve into scripture what scripture actually says concerning communion um, in a bit. But first, I just want to uh, deal with uh, another a very dangerous idea because there's some things that happen with this with this transubstantiation. Again, they're saying it's a process where the elements, the the bread and the wine, turns to actual Jesus' body and actually His blood. Um, There were some Catholics who I've talked to who will argue with you for hours on end that they have seen or they have witnessed or they know of uh, confirmed testimonies and confirmed events of elements actually turning into some type of meat or whatever and actual blood. And something we have to realize about that is could that occur? Yeah, sure. The question, I don't think the question we should be asking is like whether that's true or not. Sure, it might be be false things that happen or false... um, um false events people are saying occurred but i think the true question you should be asking people is what's the source because when i get into mary we'll talk about marian apparitions too right they they claim that there's apparitions of mary that's appeared all the world and could that have been case yeah there's actual historical documentation of that but we have to ask well what's the source the source of god or is it demonic because demons can work signs and miracles as well so, that's another thing with the Catholic view of transubstantiation. You'll get Catholics that are saying that they've actually seen the elements turn to actual blood or actual or the body of Christ and things like this. And I firmly believe that that's demonic because the Bible doesn't say anything about that. Now, the verses concerning what we actually see about communion and how to properly take it and things like that, we first see it in Matthew 26, 26, 30. And Jesus makes an interesting point. And I'll point this out later, but he says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broken and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat this in my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. for This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for their remission of sins. And listen to this. He says this. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you, in my father's kingdom. So not only do we see Matthew 26, 26 to 30 a great picture of uh, the Last Supper communion being taken and an example of it, how Jesus did it and an example of how we should do it. We also see an apologetic given here by Jesus himself as to the point of why it's not actual blood when we take communion, right? He says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink with you new in my father's kingdom. Meaning that Jesus is saying that this wine he's taking is truly symbolic of his blood and has spiritual significance and it's actually wine right so you have to bring catholics to this view that hey just saying this is wine so he's not saying this is going to actually turn to blood he's just saying it's wine and that's it so that's that's what's given to us in scripture there in luke 22 to 20 um jesus basically and and then in john 6 26 through 59 just called himself the bread of life and he makes these analogies says i'm the door right so these are things that's like, okay, when did you say he's the bread of life? If we're to take the Catholic, you know, understanding of things, it's just actually saying he's really bread. Because he's saying that if you don't eat of me, then you will not have eternal life, right? And then even the disciples are like, what, what does he mean eat of him? And things like this. He's not obviously saying you have to eat of him. He's not saying he's bread. It's, it has a spiritual significance to it. So these are the kind of things we can point people to that say that, hey, it doesn't actually turn to just by doesn't actually turn to Jesus' blood but it just has a deeper spiritual significance to it. And then in terms of the part of the Eucharist here, uh, where they're basically saying it's, uh, it's a picture of Christ sacrificing himself over and over again, why that's a problem is because of two scriptures here. And there's more, but I just focused on two, uh, that rejects that notion, right? 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ has suffered once for sins, the just and the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. 1 First three, First Peter 3.18 says Christ suffered once for sins, not over and over again through the Eucharist, but just once. He died once and for all. Hebrews 10.10-14 10, 10 says by that, we w- by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies have made his footstool. For by one offering, one offering he is perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So we see through these two scriptures, just two out of, you know, we could probably find a bunch more, how it's saying once. And through that one sacrifice, everything's settled. It's forever. It's done. Nothing else needs to be done. So, when the Catholic Church comes to you and says that, hey, uh, transubstantiation, and it's, it's a continual picture of Christ sacrificing himself, you have to reject that. That's false from what we see in Scripture. And then, uh, just quickly here, and we'll move on. Um, uh, Brother Stefan earlier was referencing how Paul says that we have to take, we can't take uh, the communion in an unworthy manner. Where you can read that is 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-two to 33, uh, where the church at that time, the Corinthian church, where, you know, um, basically being drunk at the communion table and everything, he's saying that you can't do this because you'll read judgment upon yourself. This is why some of you guys are sick. This is why some of you guys have fallen asleep or died. So it's a very serious thing uh, when we talk about communion. We have to make sure we're taking it in a holy manner, uh, that we're doing this, representing something, that there's spiritual significance, so that's very important as well. So once again, to me, it is
0: supernatural. It's not just doing it out of remembrance. It's also doing it out of obedience. It's also doing it for the purpose of, of coming before the Lord God in, in repentance and humility before him. Yeah. But it's not, uh, this supernatural act that, that causes Christ to be sacrificed over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, that's just wrong, yeah, and I, I want you to understand it. It's coming before the Holy God in a reverent manner, entering into his presence and and realizing that that it it, it does have a spiritual it's spiritual food, as Paul refers to it in, later on in Corinthians. Um, and that's so important to understand. so please don't take your communion lightly. I think that's one of the dangers of Protestantism. And I think the Catholics are right in that aspect of it, but they're wrong in everything else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so correct. So next is their view of Mary. So this is something a lot of us know as well. They view Mary as, you know, the queen of heaven. You'll hear that often that she's literally the queen of heaven. And it gets very heretical um, uh, down the line, too, because they believe, again, in immaculate conception um, that she... At one point, didn't was sinless, right? So she was sinless, which is which is false. Jesus Christ is the only one that's that was sinless. And they also make the claim that she is co-redemptress, meaning that Jesus is not the only one that we can get redemption from, but it's Jesus and Mary. They're joint redemptors, right? They they redeem us together, co-redemptress. And and I'm gonna reference you know some again, Catholic doctrine. I'm gonna reference Pope Francis's own words. Um, as to these kind of views that we're seeing. Uh, so the Roman Catholic Church teaches, among other things, that Mary is the Queen of Heaven, a perpetual virgin. That's another one I didn't mention before. And again, the co-redemptress who ascended into Heaven. Now, Pope Leo the Thirteenth wrote um, in his work, Encyclical of Pope Leo Thirteenth on the Rosary, uh, this September 22nd, 1891. So again, I'm just listing that off so you know that these are actual Catholic sources, not just Io's words. He says, by the will of God, Mary is the intermediary through whom is distributed unto us. This immense treasure of mercy is gathered by God. For mercy and truth were created by Jesus Christ. Thus, as no man goeth to the Father but by the Son, so no man goeth to Christ but by his mother. Hmm, that's, that's interesting. I wonder where scripture says that. Uh, Pope John Paul II added to the, to the deification of Mary by quoting Pope Pius II. And this is another work, Encyclical of Pope John Paul II. And this was from 1987. He says, preserved free from all guilt of original sin, the Immaculate Virgin was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory upon the completion of her earthly sojourn. She was exalted by the Lord as Queen of the Universe. So not only just Queen of Heaven, but the Queen of the Universe. Wow, Uh, that's amazing. I wish I could see that somewhere in scripture, right? Uh, So on March 25th, 2021, that was last year, Pope Francis tweeted this about Mary. You might be able to go back into his Twitter feed and see this exact tweet. He said, Mary's not only the bridge join us to God, she is more. She is the road that God traveled to reach us and the road that we must travel in order to reach him. So she's the road that we have to use to get to God. That's interesting. Okay. So the Immaculate Conception is adoption of the Roman Catholic Church in regards to Mary, just Mother. Again, the official statement of the doctrine reads, the blessed virgin Mary to have been from the first instant of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of mankind, preserved free from all stain of original sin. So we talked about, again, she doesn't have any sin. She's the queen of heaven. She's the co-redemptor. She's the only way to God. Um, definitely radical things.
0: Okay, so number one, uh, let's look at this real quickly. Uh, they're saying that Mary is the road to God. Is that correct? Yep, exactly. That contradicts what Jesus said in John 14. I am the way, the mm-hmm. truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Yeah. So we don't come to God through Mary. We come to God through Jesus Christ in faith alone and by grace alone. Okay? This is so important, guys. This is one of those... Things it sounds really good, sounds really cool, right? But it's wrong. And, and by the way, I want to I want to clarify some things. There's some really erroneous statements made out there um, that add fuel to the fire for Catholics. And we as Protestants, and and we have to correct these fallacies. Number one, the the uh, Council of Nicaea never discussed Mary at all at the Council of Nicaea. This is a myth. I've read through everything on the Council of Nicaea. There's no mention of Mary one time. Nothing. Not even a, like a, a comment like, oh, Jesus was born of Mary. There's nothing mentioned of Mary at the Council of Nicaea. So if the first Council of Nicaea it was so important about Mary, it would have been mentioned there. It wasn't. There was nothing mentioned about Mary. And I want to say the first person to hint that Mary was kind of sinless was actually Augustine. And we can, you know, Augustine's corrupted everything. Yeah. But he didn't actually say that Mary was sinless. He was saying what he was arguing was that Mary was sinless because of Jesus. And that's what he actually articulates, that she was sinless because of Jesus. Yeah, she may have been made sinless, but it was because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that got corrupted over time. And finally, the, in uh, 412, 412 years, you have the Council of Ephesus That's the first time they bring up Mary. And they're like, is it okay to refer to her as the mother of God? That was the argument. None of the arguments, you don't hear anything about Mary being sinless or to pray to Mary or any of that stuff until almost 700 years later. It's crazy. Almost. 700 years. Just about 600. So Mm. this was not early church doctrine. Do not let people deceive you on this. This was actually a response i think to islam to try to create another holy uh veneration um and uh i I, there's so much corruption in that it's it's amazing but this goes back to constantine right around 380 started to add the corruption in there and uh you're seeing a lot of that in there and that's where the church gets corrupted it gets corrupted by paganism mm-hmm. and the influence of paganism and we have to recognize that and go okay this is why we have to go back to scripture that's why we can't put our faith in the early church fathers if they were meant to be canon they would have been canonized mm-hmm. God would have made them in the scripture look I love Clement of Rome love the guy but he's not canon great historical information really appreciate him I know he's in heaven he was a disciple of Paul Peter and John great guy But for some reason, God didn't want what he wrote in the Bible. So if God didn't want it there, then it's not there Mm -hmm.
1: because God is sovereign. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. And you guys, can you guys notice how each time we're addressing these points, we're going back to scripture. And that's why I said in the first point, their view of scripture, if you don't have a correct view of scripture, everything else crumbles, right? If your base is shaky, everything else falls under. That's why, because we have a proper understanding of scripture, that it's God's revealed word, that it's true. Uh, that it's trustworthy, we can address all these points from Scripture. Um, So that's what I'm about to do with these views on Mary, right? Uh, So Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. So you can't be saved by Mary. You can't be saved by Buddha or, you know, Muhammad or whatever. Pick your name. If it's not Jesus, you can't be saved by that person. Um, so, John fourteen six or fourteen six. Yeah, uh, Brother Spahn already references. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He just again references himself through various metaphors. I am the door. Anyone who comes through me will find pasture. Right. I am the bread of life. He references himself as those things. He doesn't say I am Mary am the door. He doesn't say that. It's him alone. It's the focus is all on him. First Timothy two five says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. It's not Mary and God. It's not um, Buddha. It's not Mohammed and, and God. It's it's just Jesus. Romans three twenty three, and this is concerning Mary. With the this is concerning the argument that she was somehow sinless. Is what the Bible says about all mankind. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. That includes Mary. It was great that the Lord used her to bring Jesus into this world through His incarnation. But she was not perfect. She was not sinless. She also needed to be saved by her son. And here's her own words concerning that salvation she's looking forward to. In Luke 1, verse 46 to 47, this is what Mary says. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. If she was sinless, if she was perfect, why would she be looking forward to Jesus being her Savior? Why would she be looking forward to being saved by this child that she was nursing in her womb. That doesn't make any sense. That's what scripture says. She's not sinless. She was a sinner. It also needs to be saved by her son. Um, But of course, God used her for amazing things. And lastly here, uh, concerning the view that she was somehow perpetually a virgin and never had children, that's just blatantly false. That's easily, you know, we can easily discount that. But one passage against that is Matthew 13, 55 to 56. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, uh, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man go, these things? So they list off basically all of Jesus' uh, brothers and sisters, right? And, you know, the Catholics will say, well, those are just cousins and things like that. But that's, that's not the case at all. So that's very important there. And I'm going to note another verse here and we'll move on. Uh, actually, it's like 10 minutes or so, but we'll, we'll move on from this. Uh, and this is Luke eleven twenty seven 27 to 28. This is, I just love this verse. And I pose it to Catholics a lot. When they bring up Mary and they try to really elevate her. And I just say, hey, see what Jesus himself said. Because this mind, this thought process was even alive in Jesus' day. Because they were like, hey, the woman that gave birth to you, she's awesome. She's amazing. And Jesus puts that down immediately. And this is how. This is Luke 11, verse 27 to 28. And it happened. As he spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, Jesus, he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So Jesus shuts that down immediately. If Mary truly was the co redemptress and the, the queen of the universe, I think Jesus would have used the opportunity to say, Hey, yeah, you're correct. She's the queen of the universe. She's amazing. Make sure to glorify her as well. But he says, no, 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 no. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's where the true blessing is. So that's very important to note.
0: You know, um, we're not going to get through the next rest of the points tonight. So I think we're going to stop here on the points, but a couple of things. Someone asked What happens to the people who die believing that? They're lost. They're lost. And that's why we're getting this out is because we don't want anyone to perish. We want all men to be saved. That's what scripture t- says. Uh, that's what Paul wrote, that everyone be saved, everyone everywhere. Uh, look, I think for the most part, the Catholics are being deceived. And um, it's, we're going to get on to the discussions of purgatory and other things. But here's one of the problems, right? They actually believe that, you know, there are people out there that are going to go to purgatory because they're not really saved. I mean, they're, they're kind of and they believe that that we're not saved we're actually in heresy yeah um and that's a dangerous thing to say because what saves us isn't our works it's not our actions it's Jesus Christ yeah. jesus saved us with his blood and i think that that's so important to understand um and uh we're, we're going to be talking about a, a, a We've just barely scraped the barrel here, and uh, um, we're going to be talking about a lot of things in the next month um, over this. But, guys, it's so important because we're watching paganism come back with a vengeance. And one of the scary things that I and I keep noticing within the Catholic Church is the influence of paganism in it again. It's rising up more than we've ever seen before. One of the scary thoughts that we saw in the last month was the um, charity, uh, the Global Solidarity Fund saying, which is the Catholic Pope Francis's personal charity fund saying, we support the agenda of man. And when I saw that, and I commented at IO about that, look at, they're saying the agenda of man instead of God. There's something wrong there. There's something seriously wrong. And every Catholic should have had a chill go down their spine when, when yes. he wrote that for the Global Solidarity Fund. You're going to support the agenda of man over the agenda of God? Man's ways are wicked. They're, his intentions, his heart is wicked. It deceives them at every path. We need to support what God is doing, what God wants in his sovereign will, not the agenda of man, yeah. And I think that's the the eye opening statement that had, should have every Christian go wait a moment. There's something wrong with the Catholic Church.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's just again, just like Brother said, that's a scratch and surface because we could talk about how you know even we, we even talked about recently, like the past few weeks ago, how they're supporting the World Economic Forum and their agendas on their website, the Vatican website just blatant right there yeah we support everything the world economic forum supports and that's another thing we we can talk about pope francis and his literal support of globalism of marxism of communism and in literally supporting the things that the bible says will take place during the tribulation and it's supportive like lgbtq and, and things like this um uh, propagating um you know the earth is going to be destroyed and whatever and, and and climate change and all these things so um, I think one good thing that's coming out of what Pope Francis is doing is that some Catholics are actually calling him out on it. Unfortunately, it's not a whole lot, but some are waking up and be like, hey, there's something wrong here. He's not following traditional Catholic doctrine, even though we know that traditional Catholic is wrong. Um, at least some of them are waking up and being like, hey, there's, there's something wrong here. We need to take a step back. Um, so that's again, that's the point of us highlighting all these things to you guys. Again, we're not trying to make fun of Catholics or anything like that. It goes back to this question that what happens to those people who believe these things who believe that you have to work your way to be saved who believe that mary is a co-redemptress unfortunately if you die believing these lies you die in your sin you go to hell and that's what pains us that's why we're on here talking about these things because we don't want people to face that we don't want people to die in their sins in this deception i want people to be set free to believe in the truth that if you believe on christ that he died for your sins was buried and rose again on the third day. And by believing that you have eternal life, you will be saved. You will have hope. You don't won't go through purgatory and things like this. You don't have to pray to saints and, and Mary. You can't even do that even if you wanted to, right? So that's the encouragement I want to give to you guys as we leave this weekend. Amen. Amen.
0: I know this was a great discussion. I yes. hope that all of you uh, got something out of it. Um, I hope it encouraged you in your faith to number one, dive deep into the Bible. Um, and, uh, I, I really encourage you to focus on the word of God and, um, really get into his presence, come before the throne of God with your Bible, um, and, and with your prayer time and your devotional time and write out what the Holy Spirit is leading you. Uh, I think that's so important, but put aside anything that could appear as an idol. If something helps you worship God, get rid of it. You know what I mean? If it's not, if it's a thing or an animate object, you know, um, look, there's nothing wrong with having a cross. But if you sit there and you pray before that cross, are you making that cross your idol? Be careful on that. That's what I'm, I'm trying to get across here. Because it, next thing you know, you got a bunch of saints running around your house and, and you're praying to them. That's what it tr- turns into. So fine line. be grateful for what Jesus did on the cross but don't make the cross your idol.
1: Amen, amen. Have a good night, guys. Good night. Take care. God bless.